Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. It's a second episode in a week and I am joined by some up-and-comers on the MBA podcasting scene. They started at the same time as me and they've got way more followers, so I'm jealous. I think this is a sabotage attack, if anything, but I have XJ and Jeff of the Hot Hand Theory. Guys, I'm really excited to have you on, despite my jealousy. How are you both doing today, we are great. I am great. I won't speak for Jeff. I know Jeff's in a bit of a rainstorm in in the United States over here. Uh, yes, we are here, Jack, to extract your audience, what, what audience you have, and pull them over to our side. And, and that's the entire purpose of our appearance here. So thank you for having us for that. Anytime. I can feel like the podcasting tractor beam already sucking <laughs> everyone in. And Jeff, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. We uh, The weather's terrible here, but... That's okay. Sitting inside to talk basketball. I'm not as funny or witty or I, and I have a little bit more humility than XJ does. So I, I'm just going to, I'm going to plead the fifth here about the whole <laughs> audience thing and just thank you for having us on. Thanks for, you know, all the kind words you said in our, and with us chatting in the DMS, we're super happy to be here. And I know I speak for XJ when I say that. So let's just, I'm ready to talk some ball. I'm trying to think of like an NBA comparison where a big three is formed with a duo. Is this like, you know, James Harden joining the Nets and we've got Kyrie and KD? Are there going to be some chemistry issues here? Or are we going to be able to work this stuff out? That's that's good. I, I usually have a good memory for this kind of stuff, but I can't I can't think of I mean, what what else is there even? There's like Paul George joining Mello and Russ. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's not or, that one. <laughs> It's Paul. It's it's the 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 obvious one is Paul George and Kawhi and Harden coming over to join that duo. I think that's the one. Yeah, that's Basically, that's a much better one. That's that's a much better chemistry one. Let's go with that. It's James Harden wherever he goes. Yeah, essentially, that's what we're doing. You know, it's as long as James Harden is involved in this comparison, we're good. Unfortunately, James is not going to be too involved in our chat today because what we've done for this episode, we want to sort of talk about title contender dark horses so when you look at the odds for whatever reason there are clear-cut four teams that sort of separated from the rest of the association in terms of their championship odds boston are currently first in the standings the denver nuggets are second the clippers are third and who would have guessed it the milwaukee bucks are fourth at sort of plus 600s or, or six to one and then we've got a massive drop off to your phoenixes your new york minnesota oklahoma cleveland and so on so what we want to talk about today is we're going to discard those four, maybe talk a little bit about Milwaukee because we don't quite know why they're there. But we want to talk about the teams where we think, do you know what? I think they have a chance. I think they should perhaps be a little bit higher in the odds. And we're going to sort of make our case for why we think these teams should be considered a little bit more seriously than why the odds makers are considering them. Guys, you seemed excited pre-pod for this premise. I don't know if anyone wants to get us kicked off specifically, but who's who's going to take the plunge who wants to talk about their first team that thinks these guys need to be in the title conversation more than they are now jeff i think i think you should jump in and kick it off i, I know the the teams that you're going to talk about are more exciting than the ones that i'm going to talk about so i think, I think you should start us off <laughs> i honestly i i think we should just talk about milwaukee first like if that's cool with you guys just because i don't I think they should be lower in the odds, and I don't. I, I'd love to hear either of you two make a make an argument for why they deserve to have this place in the. Like Jack just said, they're very clearly fourth, and they're closer to the Clippers and the Nuggets in the second and third spot 
than um, Phoenix in the fifth spot. And that's kind of wild to me because they haven't been good. They're 11th in net rating. Net rating is not everything. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look at their roster, they basically have five reliable players. And that's counting Chris Middleton as healthy. He has not exactly been a beacon of health this season. But they basically have no depth. And so you look at their starting lineup, um, Giannis is Malik Beasley's 27 and Giannis is 29. And then they've got three guys in Lillard, Middleton and Lopez who are 32, 33 and 35. That's a lot of pressure to put on these five guys. They're going to have to play huge minutes in the playoffs to be successful. I mean, me and XJ talked about the Bucks a month ago and XJ was very, very high on the idea that Lillard was going to step it up and he's going to become, you know, as good as he was last season or approach being as good as he was last season. And then all of a sudden the Bucks would turn around. I still think there's time to do that, but we're pretty deep into the season. I don't know. What do you guys think about the Bucks, champ? I think I'll take it if you guys spoke about it on the pod a month ago. I had Lewis Satzman of Raptors Republican because he writes about the Bucks for NBA.com. And we sort of spoke about both teams at the time. But that was very much in a stage where they were sort of in the feeling out process. And it feels to me like they're back in that feeling out process. I think if you want the first take answer, then I'll Stephen AU. They have Giannis. They have Dame. They have a championship coach, you know, a guy that's coached the 2008 Celtics to a championship. They've got experience. They've got pedigree, etc. But to try and make a slightly more educated argument, I suppose... I'd say that the defense has at least slightly upticked in the last couple of weeks under Doc Rivers. I know that the record hasn't necessarily been there. And I think if you have a team that through the season shows you the potential to be a top five offense at a certain stage and shows you the potential to be a top 10 defense, I think that they're sort of hovering around that mark. They might be sort of seventh, eighth at the moment. They've shown you that they've got the clubs in the bag. That being said, I would not be leading off and chatting about them as a potential title contender at the moment. I think a team like New York, who I think we'll probably come on to at this stage, uh, you know, sort of later in a podcast, I think they've got plenty of potential to cause the Bucks a hell of a lot of trouble in a playoff series. I still don't think that they've got anyone that can really defend, um, you know, an elite pick and roll ball handler. I worry about Brooke Lopez getting up and down the court for four straight rounds. I worry about him being parked in the corner all the time. Like the poor guy had back surgery a couple of years ago and then has suddenly gone on to have his best seasons ever. I just think that it's it's a little clunky there, but there have been flashes of potential. And obviously, first take, they have the star power. Yeah, I think it's I think the first take answer is the reason why they are where they are in the odds. Um, I think that, you know, people are going to bet on if they, if their odds were lower, all the money would be flowing in from Milwaukee. You have Giannis, you have Dame. You don't really need to hear anything else if you're some of the betting public. But I do think they have a legitimate case. I, I, I do think they have. And I like what you said, Jack. They have the, the clubs in the bag. I, I think that that's that's relevant. Like they do. And they have demonstrated an ability to be an elite offense and their defense is improving. Um, uh, You know, like Jeff mentioned, their starting lineup is awesome. Their starting lineup. I looked it up. uh, Dame Beasley, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke, 
is plus 16 per 100 possessions over 1100 possessions on the season like that that's elite 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 stuff like they're it's their bench that's been awful and you know realistically they just won't rely on them as much in the playoffs um bobby portis and pat Connaughton have been i don't know quietly horrifically bad like a huge disappointment um Connaughton has been a little better of late but still bad I actually do think, and I'm not saying it's a make or break thing. I do think Pat Bev gives them a little bit for, you know, for the playoffs. I think he'll clearly be in the rotation and help out that bench a little bit. I also think Jay Crowder is working his way back and is going to probably supplant Connaughton, who may just not be on the playoff rotation. So I do think they have some some tools to potentially correct some of the issues that they've had, you know, on, on the defense and from the bench. And then they're going to be a lot less reliant on the bench. So if I was to give an answer why I think they could be a contender, those would be, you know, a top tier contender. Those would be the reasons, as well as I do think Dame is going to have another gear to get to as we get later into the season and potentially into the playoffs. Um, as Jeff mentioned, it's something that we've talked about and I've mentioned, we saw what he did in the three point competition in the all-star game. Obviously, you know, those being like shoot arounds uh, or rec league game style, but at the same time, it shows that he still has it in him. I believe that. And I, I, I guess I just think that we'll see some of that. And I think that the betting public is probably assuming that we'll see some of that as well. Yeah, those are all fair points. I, I'm surprised that Dame and Giannis's um, chemistry hasn't been more instant. If I'm being honest, especially, I mean, maybe, maybe behind the scenes it's not this, but Giannis is saying all the right things. He seems to have the humility and self awareness to be aware uh, to understand that even though he's the better overall player, Damian Lillard needs to be the offensive engine. You know, I, I remember back in. Uh, 2012 2013 when Dwight Howard was at the peak of his star power and he was so good for a very specific reason like if if analytics were more prevalent back then I think there would have been a better understanding on his behalf of like what made him so good but back then he had all these people you know Shaq was on TNT at this point and he had all these people saying oh he needs a post game he needs a back to the basket game and he would demand these touches like his ego grew in place like i'm a star therefore i need to be a, a, a usual star Giannis doesn't seem to be that way he doesn't seem to want to like be kobe or michael jordan or lebron like he's he's very much himself and that's a good thing for the buck so if i was going to buy buck stock it would be because damian lillard if he was going like there's nothing holding damian lillard back from succeeding except himself and that's that's a really good thing yeah, I don't remember the exact Kobe quote, but I think he sort of put he put the flames out on Dwight Howard being a superstar in the league when he said, I never truly appreciated Pau Gasol until I had to play with Dwight Howard. Like he was talking about <laughs> him in the post, and he was talking about his hands. But um, yeah, Jeff, I think that's a really good point. I think that when you look at Giannis um, this year, this isn't actually something that I'd noticed. He is having the most efficient scoring season of his career. And when you're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, that is a huge deal. He's shooting 61% from the field this year, sitting at around 65% true shooting. And I remember during the MVP race last year when it was sort of, well, why can't it be Giannis? Why has it got to be Jokic? Why has it got to be Embiid? I looked at the scoring numbers and there was sort of a genuine drop off from that elite efficiency that we'd seen. He was really sort of struggling from five to six feet out, really. But, you know, such a monster at the rim that the the cracks were sort of papered over. I think sometimes um, 
you know how Kawhi Leonard is still regarded as like the best defender in the NBA by a lot of fans. Sometimes like offensive players get that sort of reputation lag as well. But I think that we've sort of seen a restoration of that. So the fact that Dame isn't necessarily quite as efficient as he was in Portland, which I actually think was a pretty good offensive situation when you look at the level of spacing that he had, particularly for that last year. Um, the fact that Giannis's efficiency has crept back up, maybe I'm talking myself back into sort of a title charge for, for Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I, I think those are all great points. And I think the efficiency that we're seeing from Giannis is what, you know, we would expect, especially finishing at the rim. I think he's finishing like 75% at the rim or something completely astronomical. Um, I do just think that there is a little bit of, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned this point, Jack, about kind of the reputation and, and, and players having that reputation lag. I think there's a little bit of forgetting how good Damian Lillard has been as an offensive player um, in terms of his offensive impact, uh, you know, in his years, uh, age 29 season, age 30 season, age 32 season, he was like an all-time great offensive player. Like some of the stuff we're seeing from Luka Doncic now where we're like, this is incredible. We've never seen this stuff before. It's like Dame was having that kind of impact in consecutive seasons, like across a number of years in different play, um, team contexts. Damian Lillard is an all-time, all-time great offensive player. And we just haven't seen it this year. We've seen him be like really good. And it seems like he's doing like an approximation of Damian Lillard where it's like you squint your eyes and it's like, yeah, that guy's really good offensively. Like, yeah, of course that he should. But it's like, no, 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 this, this is not Damian Lillard. And I, I just believe in him. I think, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's age 33, um, going on 34. So he's going to slow down at some point. It, it just seems a little abrupt to the, to the extent where I don't necessarily believe it's like due to age and attrition. I think there's some personal stuff going on in his life. I think there's some dynamic stuff on the team. Um, some not wanting to kind of take the reins is, you know, even though Giannis has expressed, as Jeff said, that he would like him to. So I just think that there's time for that to turn around. And to me, it, it really is contingent on Dame being like, just, just being the Dame of old. And, and I do want to say at the same time, Damian Lillard and Giannis together, their, 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 uh, their net rating when they're on the court together is like plus 10, which is one of the best marks in the league. So it's funny, like we're saying they haven't really gotten it right yet and they don't have like the ideal dynamic, but they're still one of the best duos in the entire league. So I, I think that just says enough uh, just right there. Is there any concern um, on y'all's behalf that, so Jack brought up uh, Giannis's efficiency and he's exactly right. Both uh, effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage are career highs, which is amazing, an amazing thing to say about Giannis. But you look a little bit deeper and you look at his uh, shooting splits and his efficiency splits. He's basically shooting at the rim what or around what he's been at the last five years. And there hasn't really been a leap from any other location. The efficiency leap mostly comes from the fact that his attempts at the rim are a, around his career high, but his mid-range and three-point attempts are down. So, like, of course, if he's shooting from the smart – from his best areas more often, I would say it's natural for efficiency to go up. Is that completely sustainable in a playoff setting when teams are going to be doing everything they can to be keep to keep Giannis away from the rim? Because look, I, I know Giannis has won a championship. He had one of the greatest playoff runs we've ever seen. I, I'm not. I'm definitely not one of those people who's like, oh, this guy is a playoff dropper. 
I do think that, you know, a team like Miami showed that it's possible to keep him away from the rim. I know he was hurt last season. I'm just, you know, is it possible that that's a worry or just, nah, he's too good and he'll, he'll be there. He'll be there. I think like the previous times we've seen the wall formed, the classic Miami wall formed, it's, it's stupid to say, but it has been without Dame on the team. And I just don't know if you can sell out in a way that you sort of could previously when it was your Eric Bledsoe sort of getting Giannis the ball. I just wonder if we've seen the increases in efficiency because there's just even less reliance on him to sort of provide the spacing. And I think that when you look at when you look at the value that Dame brings to the ball, it's something that Nikias Duncan has said on the dunk spot a few times. I think that there was... Um, there was sort of Miami Heat fans saying after the Terry Rozier uh, trade, oh, well, if you look at the stats, Terry Rozier does 80% of what Damian Lillard does, but what he doesn't do is demand eyes all the time that he's on the court, right? And I just think that having that offensive star next to him for the first time in his career, personally, I believe the rim attempts will sort of stay at a fairly decent level. But we've even seen in... Uh, I. I'm sure you guys remember the Boston series a couple of years ago. I think it was in the second round where Chris Middleton's injured. Giannis averaged like 40 points per game on 40% field goal. And it was just, I don't care how many elbows I have to throw, how many elbows I have to take. I'm either getting myself to the line 20 times or I'm getting to the rim. So I just think that while the efficiency might drop, I personally don't think that the rim attempts can ever drop too far for Giannis. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think... I think that, you know, it's hard to say causality, but I do think that the reason that Giannis is, doesn't have to take as many threes and mid-range shots is because Dame is there. And it's like Giannis is going to be able to get to the rim a lot more easily. And if teams do try to wall him off and say like, okay, Dame Lillard beat us with an advantage, like, <laughs> okay, I mean, I don't think that's going to work out well. We'll see. I mean, m- maybe Dame has just lost a step and, and it's just not going to be able to punish teams for doing that. And, and they'll be able to swarm Giannis and, and he'll have some of the same issues that they've had in the past. But I do think that Dame is going to be able to to punish those teams. I, I don't I don't know if we want to... Um, segue to a different team because I, we were talking about getting to the rim and I'm, I'm thinking of a player that I watched last night who can get to the rim at will. Um, and that is, uh, that is SGA who can absolutely get to the rim anytime. I think, you know, I, I'm a huge thunder guy, huge thunder fan. I said, I said last year went on a limb with my, you know, my first take hot take that I think the thunder can be, a dynasty. I think that they have the tools in place to become a dynasty, sort of like the Golden State Warriors um, with SGA and J-Dub, Jalen Williams kind of heading the helm there. And then all the picks that they have, what we've seen from Chet Holmgren this year has been incredible. Like, you know, they have Isaiah Joe under contract, like guys like you know Aaron Wiggins being unbelievable for them. It's just, they just have all the pieces, the assets, the players, Um, and I don't think that they're, they're there yet this year. So I don't think they're like in the first tier of title contenders, but I think they're squarely in the second tier of title contenders and a team that I'm really watching out for in terms of what they could potentially do this year. I think that maybe they're not getting enough love because they're young, you know, and, and I don't know that I believe the idea that, well, you have to have done it in the playoffs before you have to have that experience. You have to be, you know, battle tested, 
I think a lot in a lot of cases the t- the young teams don't win because they're just not good enough yet. Like I don't think it's necessarily because they haven't had the experience. I think they're they're young and so they are not in their primes and teams that have players that are at their peak and in their primes, those are the teams that actually win. And I just think that the Thunder are so good and SGA particularly is so good and J-Dub has been so good that I do think they have they have a legitimate shot at winning a championship this year. So back when I was doing the podcast solo, I went to the StatsBomb data and analytics conference and their main sort of basketball guy over there is Seth Partnow. And I really nerded out when I met Seth and I was sort of trying to impress him. And I said, you know, which team do you think had the best sort of single draft of all time? And I went off on a tangent about the 1986 Cleveland Cavaliers. They drafted Brad Doherty, Ron Harper and Mark Price in the same draft. I think Mark Price was like 27th in the draft, a second round pick. And he was like, oh, that's a good answer. Do you know, there's talk around the league that it might be the OKC Thunder in 2022. He said the talk around Chet, the talk around Jalen Williams is such that they think that they picked up sort of two real, at least all-star level players. And that's before how we've seen Chet take to the league like a duck to water. Um, I think a lot of the pushback as well is the age stuff, XJ, that you've 100% hit on, is a lot of the times there's doubts about a team winning a championship when there hasn't been a team that's been built in the same way win it before. So no team's ever won a championship with a skinny five with sort of five ball handlers that can all put the ball down and there's sort of the frequency of drives and there's the amount of spacing. Usually, even if it's sort of like, you know, the Warriors back in 2015, their edge was completely different. Their edge was leveraging a shot that was at the time completely undervalued and at sort of switching and everything like that. We don't want to get into that for now, but NBA um, analysis is often sort of anchored by what we've seen before. So a lot of people look at Chet Holmgren as a playoff five and go, well, he's going to get bullied. I think in actuality, when we've watched, maybe he struggled against certain players. I think that's Jonas Valanciunas has really given it to him when they've played so far this year. But he had good games against Joel Embiid. He's had good games against good centres this year. And I think that a lot of the concern is from, I haven't seen this before, therefore it's not possible. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just the the intuitive bias that people have uh, about things they haven't seen before. Like they just didn't immediately look to push back if it looks foreign to them. I think that's just absolutely human nature. And that was just a great point by you. Um, regarding the age thing, I thought actually like the Thunder in 2012, their three best players were all 23 and young, younger. Nobody was like they were too young then. And they were coming off a Western Conference final. Western Conference Finals trip in 2011. So that that group didn't have any issues, you know, exceeding expectations per se when they were um, when they were young. So it's definitely possible, and there's uh, proof of concept that we've seen. I I am a little bit more worried about the size than you seem to be because it's not just that Chet's small; it's that he's the only anyone close to a big man that they have. Like they have Jalen Williams, they have Jalen Williams playing power forward. They just got Gordon Hayward. They are, to me, a very, very small team. Like, they rely a lot on their wings to, to guard up, to rebound up. You know, like Aaron Wiggins, Kenrich William, Dort. These are guys that they, you know, they're like, you guys have to go out there and you have to guard two, three, four. You, and they're versatile players. They're capable. I do think that 
it's possible in a playoff setting they get a little bit more attacked than they are being consistently in the regular season. Poppin, you can you can cut me off whenever you want. Just to, just to jump in really quickly, quick news update for any Thunder fans out there. Uh, team legend Alexei Pokashevsky was cut or waived from the Thunder today. Huge news, a massive loss to the NBA community. <laughs> I hope he's picked up by a good team very soon. Uh, and, you know, they've signed Bismarck Biombo, so I think these size concerns are completely answered. He's not going to be any sort of negative on the offensive end during the playoffs. Uh, I think that this is a complete team. But, Jeff, I think that, you know, in all seriousness, you're hitting on a proper point here with the size concerns. And I was going to bring up something similar in that you look at the route to the final that they might have in the West, they're going to encounter size. Yeah, for sure. Um, and look, as Knicks fans, and I, I watch a ton of NBA, XJ can vouch for that, but one of the, the most common discussions amongst Knicks fans is emphasizing guarding against weaknesses. And something me and XJ talk about, Tibbs, Tom Thibodeau is obsessed with certain click points at the expense of other things. And it's like, so he loves, you know, size at the point of attack. He loves room protection. He loves rebounding. And he sometimes will sacrifice other things that might be more important and you could win that way. And so something XJ and I talk about all the time is like, there isn't one way to win. There are multiple ways to win. Maybe OKC is undersized or not. Maybe I, I do. I truly do believe, believe they are. But it's possible that they could just emphasize other strengths and win another way. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's impossible. M- maybe maybe their lack of size will be advantageous in other areas. Um, Eksha, do you, do you think that they could just be a super offense and that, yeah. that's how they win? <laughs> yeah, that was a, it was a perfect segue to what I wanted to say, which is because you know me so well, Jeff. I, I Obviously, you're right. Like, you know, basketball is a game of trade-offs. We've talk, we talk about that all the time. And they are disadvantaged on the boards. It's just true. They're what is they're 29th in the NBA in defensive rebounding and 28th in the NBA in offensive rebounding. Like they are disadvantaged on the boards. That I think that's a, like objective at this point. I don't think they're going to make it up. I don't think Bismack Biombo is going to play any minutes in the playoffs. We'll see the court at all. And I don't think he would really help resolve the issues anyway. At the same time, I do think that their offense is so good and their defense is so good in terms of scoring the ball and keeping teams from scoring the ball that it makes up for the fact that they don't get rebounds on a high rate. And I think something that's really underrated and one of the way, the reasons I love this team so much is that they're so non-traditional how they go about things. But when we talk about rebounding, what we're really talking about is possessions, right? You want to be able to get possessions so you can get more shots up. And the Oklahoma City Thunder get their possessions by generating turnovers. They generate turn in the last two years. They've been first and second in turnover rate forced defensively. Um, They force uh, a turnover rate of 16% this year, which is number one in the league. That's another way of getting possession. So maybe you're getting killed on the boards and getting out rebounded, but you're still being able to win or fight to win the possession battle because you're generating extra possessions. You're ending your opponent's possessions with a turnover, which is the worst case scenario for any offensive team is to turn the ball over. You don't even get a shot off. You don't even get the, you know, whatever one point per possession that you would get or the value of what a shot would be in the half court. So I think that that's an amazing strategy. I don't know if it's going to work in the playoffs. And I think that it's fair to have some doubt about it. But at the same time, I think 
They understand their disadvantage and they're okay with that because they understand the advantages that come from being fine with those disadvantages. And I think that that they, they play that way. And one other thing actually to go along with what you're saying, you know, last year headed into the playoffs, you talked a lot about how the Knicks, you know, they were a top three offense at the time. They were effective but a lot of it was on the back of offensive rebounding. So they were creating multiple possessions, which sort of artificially elevated their true effectiveness. And we saw it come back down to earth in the playoffs. Well, the Thunder are, you know, they're the, they're the, uh, a top five offense. They're, as you said, second to last in offensive rebound percentage, but they're top two in both true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage. And then they're also first in turnover percentage. They don't turn it over. So like all of these things combined, it makes it hard to see a defense just being like, oh, we're focused now. We're going to stop them. Like they're going to keep creating these great looks in the playoffs. So even if they don't force turnovers on the defense, I, I do believe that an opposing team might be more careful with the ball when they play OKC. And I could see OKC's ability to force turnovers dipping a little bit. But as far as creating good looks with the great space that they have and the great talent they have, I don't see that going down in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that I was listening to, I listened to Game Theory a ton, Sam Vecini's podcast, and he had Andrew Schlecht on, who does incredible work on the OKC Thunder. And he spoke about how SGA's role on the defensive end, I think that he's leading the league in steals this year by quite a significant margin, is incredibly unique. And sort of Mark Dagnall has enabled him to go and sniff out these plays and really sort of use this anticipation. And it's really interesting to see how different teams in the league are utilizing that sort of free safety, that guy that can lurk on the back line and then go in. Sometimes you've got the really vertical guys like your Jaron Jackson Juniors or your Giannis's. Uh, the Thunder have chosen to go a different way with SGA, just trying to sort of wreak havoc in the passing lanes. I had Samson Falk on a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, and he always talks about sort of the Nick Nurse Raptors teams, how they achieve success through reverse engineering turnovers. They had looked and they'd said, you know, if you win a possession battle by five possessions or more, you tend to win sort of 70% of the time. I'm paraphrasing there, so go and check out his work if you want to know the specifics. If the Thunder are having so much success across so many broad strokes, I think sometimes it's just important to focus on what a team is doing well instead of what they can't necessarily do. And I think it maybe becomes a little bit more specific when you get into the playoffs and you get into matchups. So XJ is the guy that you know beautifully segued about 15 minutes ago into the OKC Thunder. Talk to me about the teams that you would be worried about OKC matching up with, because I think there's sort of immediate concerns for me with a team that I'm going to talk about in the Pelicans and Denver as well. Who who stops Denver? I think that that's a great point. And actually something I was going to say about OKC as well, I think it's really matchup dependent for them because I think they'll be fine against Phoenix. I think they'll be fine against the Clippers. I think Denver is going to be a problem for them. I do think that's where they could get exploited with the wings that Denver has to kind of guard their 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 best ball uh, on ball creators and initiators like SGA and Jalen Williams. Um, and then the rebounding is just going to be a problem. I mean, battling with Jokic the whole series, you know, I, I think that that would be the worst case scenario for OKC. I think if they can 
not avoid Denver. I think they they can get all the way to the finals, but I do think Denver is going to be the toughest matchup for them. And I do want to say real quick, because I know we're going to segue the, the one big thing I'm worried about with the Thunder in particular um, is that I do think that Jalen Williams, J-Dub, has been playing out of his mind. And I don't even think that's a good thing because I think his indicators are completely unsustainable to me. Um, he was shooting at some point, like not too long ago, he was shooting like over 50% on pull-up threes for a while. He cooled off now, but he's shooting like 52% on catch and shoot threes now over his last 15 games. And Jeff had sent me a thing where his true shooting percentage is like 67% on step backs or something ridiculous. Um, and I'm just not going to believe that he's that good. Yeah. Like to, to Seth Partnell's point about, you know, the, the amazing draft that the Thunder had with, uh, you know, with Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren, I just, I'm not going to believe that. Jalen Williams is that good yet like he's 120 games into his career and he's on a trajectory where it's like he's going to be Devin Booker with elite defense I just I just I don't think I'm in a position to be like J-Dub is going to be a top five player in the NBA yet so I'm going to assume that some of his stuff comes back to earth and I think that that's going to be trouble for them because they need him at the level that he's been playing at SJ carries so much of that offense and so I just think that they need him to be able to to pick up the slack um, because I don't think that they can be so dependent on SGA the way that they have been. But I do think Denver is going to be the toughest matchup for them, if I had to say. I mean, Jalen Williams is 11th in the entire NBA in three-point percentage. And, like, nobody ahead of him is a major player, like, has, has a big role at all. It's all role players who shoot small amounts of threes. And he's being assisted on 13% of, or excuse me, 73% of his threes, which is in the 13th percentile in the entire NBA. Like 27% of his threes are unassisted. That's, that's like impossible. It's like, it's almost 12, that's 25. That's Kyrie Irving. That's Kyrie 20, Irving. <laughs> 25, 25% of his mid-range jumpers are being assisted on, which is more natural because who's assisting a mid-range jumper? Those are, those are self-created a lot, but that's still only in the 12th percentile in the entire NBA. So it's low and he's shooting 49% from the mid range. Like he's making everything from everywhere he shoots. Look, if he is this player, that 2022 draft is the greatest draft of all time. Cause they, they got two like, I don't know, fringe hall of fame trajectory players or something like that. Um, but I think XJ's point isn't so much. It's impossible. This is his player. It's more so let's wait and see if it really is like, let's, let's let, Let's let him do this a little bit longer before we just say, yeah, this is who he is. And I think with the defensive load that he'd have to carry in the postseason, if he were to keep up those numbers, then you're sort of looking at, you know, someone verging on superhero, let alone all NBA player, all star, just to to get through that amount of work. I just want to say we've talked about the Thunder for, you know, 10 plus minutes now, and I haven't said Isaiah Joe. So I just want to give him a shout out because he's awesome and he's a really cool player. And I think he'll be super important in the playoffs, like playing off of SGA and Jalen Williams. He create creates so much gravity. He's such a good shooter and he's sneakily a passable defender. So I look, he's not going to like change, you know, he's not going to win a championship for them, but I do think that the thunder, they're not, you know, the bucks. I, I do think that they have guys who you can trust in a playoff setting and stay on the court on both ends of the court on, on both sides of the court, whether that's Aaron Wiggins, whether that's Kenrich Williams, whether that's Dort, you know, like Dort gets a lot of slack because he got that contract a few years ago, which actually is looking fine now. Like people laughed when they gave him the contract, but 
his shooting somehow is sustained. Like everyone assumed it would just fall off a cliff, but Dort, you know, he's still shooting fine. And he's still one of, he's shooting 39% from three. You'll take that from Dort. Um, And he's, you know, a really, really good defender. And so I don't think he's going to take the pressure off of Jalen Williams on that side of the court because Jalen Williams is bigger. He's got to guard up, you know, like let's say they played the Celtics in the, uh, the championship. I think you're relying on Jalen Williams to be the guy to guard Tatum primarily. You're not and you're going to put Dort on Jalen Brown. Um, that's a lot. That's asking a lot of a 20 of a young 20 year old who you also need his offense, as XJ said, because if his offense isn't there, then it's just basically the SGA show. I kind of wonder if you had Sam Presti off the record and you asked him sort of about the most pivotal acquisitions to building this sort of championship contender, how highly he'd value Chip England, because it just seems that he arrived in the offseason as their shooting coach, you know, formerly the Spurs shooting coach who worked magic with sort of the jumpers of DeJounte Murray. And, you know, even Derek White springs to mind as a guy that's left now, but currently lights it up than three uh but you know sort of over the years was regarded right up there with your fred vincent's out in new orleans the whole team seems to shoot sort of like 37 38 and there just seems to be linear progression i'm even looking at josh giddy who i noticed was a name that was not mentioned as these guys that you might not be able to trust in the playoffs he's shooting 83.8 percent from the line this year he's had months where he shot over 40 percent from three the attempts are going up i think it's very popular at the moment to hate on josh giddy because of some of the stuff that's happening off the court and some of the abuse that he's getting on social media i think it's probably best to veer away from that but i look at giddy as a guy that can you know sort of really help on the rebounding as well and uh, i think a lot of the chat has been about Gordon Hayward coming in to perhaps ballast against his minutes sort of being make or break in the playoffs. I think it will be really exciting if we get to see Hayward, Giddy, SGA, J-Dub and Chet lineups where you truly have sort of five drivers, five playmakers on the court at all times. And we're sort of verging on uncharted territory, which is something that we spoke about right at the top where it's like we haven't really seen a team of this construction before. Um, two, two, two quick points and we could we could move forward. Um, one, I love that point about I think OKC is clearly, clearly valuing skills so much, just like offensive and defensive skills and abilities. And I think that that's amazing. And I think the lineup that you just mentioned would be incredible to watch. Like, how do you keep the ball out of the paint when you have all five guys who can create, who can get into the paint, who can pass, who can shoot? That's just who can shoot from the mid range, who can shoot from three. I, I just think that that's. That's that's why I love the team so much. And two, uh, you just wanted to bring up a guy named England, and I know it, and I just want to call you out on that. So we can we can we can move forward. Hundred <laughs> percent. A lot of people. There's, there's a, a, lot of people a lot of people forget. Um, Giddy was the one who shined the brightest in their playing game last season against the Pelicans. It wasn't. I mean, SGA was fine, um, but Giddy had 31, 10, and nine. Like he, I know that's one game, but you would expect, you know, a guy like Giddy who with his shooting weaknesses to be more exposed in a playoff setting when people are going to ignore him and maybe that should hurt his team. But I love the point you made about the uptick in his shooting and the uptick in his, in his percentages, because that will drive his overall impact, his willingness to shoot, not even so much his effectiveness. Like they don't need him to shoot 40, 40%. He's such a gifted passer and 
with his size, if he can create any gravity at all and force defenses to bend even a little bit, that will change the way he's able to help his team without the ball in his hands because he's just not going to have the ball in his hands enough when he plays with SGA. SGA is too good. You you don't want to take the ball out of SGA's hands, but naturally he's going to get these catch and shoot opportunities. He's going to be able to attack closeouts. And yeah, when SGA is not playing, hopefully he's out there to run a little bit of offense. That was a, that was a great call by you because he can be an important player for this team and he's just got to shoot more. He's got to be a more willing shooter. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure in the postseason teams are really going to test that willingness to shoot. I think we might have the 12-3 attempts uh, Josh Giddy game this postseason, which we can look forward to. I want to move us on to a team where I think Herb Jones is probably going to have that game as well in the postseason this year where he's forced to take 12 threes. I'm coming in hot. I'm not talking about a team that's sort of like right on the peripheries of favourites. I want to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans because I think that probably due to their in-season tournament performance and Zion not being that explosive guy that we saw for 29 games last year, they've really gone under the radar this year. But if you cut out a slightly slow start, they've consistently been sort of a top five team in the league in terms of net rating this year. And they're incredibly deep. They've got two stars that I really, I, I tend to like the idea of their playoff scoring. I think that they're a little bit inelastic. It's the term that Ben Taylor likes to use when he's talking about like Hakeem Olajuwon and Kobe Bryant. I'm going to talk about those guys a little bit later on with my second pick as well. But I look at Brandon Ingram as a six foot seven guy with a seven foot three wingspan that likes to lean back in his mid ranges. And he's not necessarily a guy that's going to provide you, um, you know, a massive plus true shooting regular season where he's scoring 30 points per game. But, he is a guy that I think provides you a floor and can also mismatch Hunt with the best of them. Uh, I loved watching that Sacramento game early on in the in-season tournament, and they've had Sacramento's number all time. I think if they come up against a team that's perhaps lacking in wing depth, they're a team that are really, really going to cause some issues in the Western Conference this year. And I personally, I would just sort of like stop talking about teams like the Lakers and... I, th- I think that we might come on to the Warriors later, but um, you know, what are your what are your guys' thoughts on the Pelicans before I ramble on too much? I mean, I'll jump in on the Pelicans. I I, I think the Pelicans are. I think you're totally right, Jack. They are flying under the radar since January. I think I, I know that they have a plus six uh, point differential, and they are top mm-hmm. ten in offense and defense. So. That is, I don't think people would recognize that if you just threw out the Pelicans and they're probably like, why are we talking about the Pelicans here? They've been really good. They've been probably a top, you know, like a top 10 offense, top 10 defense, top 10 team this, this year in this calendar year. So, uh, for sure, I think they should be talked about. Um, I think they're solid at everything. Like they're not amazing at anything, but they're solid at literally, they have like no weaknesses at this point. They're not, they're not a team that you say, Oh, we're going to take advantage of them on the boards. We're going to take advantage of, of their ball handling. We're going to take advantage of their shooting. Like they're, they're really solid at all aspects of the game. I think my concern is just that it's like, they're really solid at all aspects of the game. Is that enough? Is it that enough to just do everything well enough is that enough to be a title contender i think they're just on the periphery they're in that you know second tier third tier on the cusp to me so that's that's where i would have them and i think that is you know it's kind of 
maybe cliche to say or silly to say it's going to be contingent on what we see from zion because we've seen games from zion where it's like oh yeah if zion plays like that they can be anyone um mm-hmm. and we've seen games from zion where it's like yeah it's not the same guy i remember like he you know i i just remember him getting up a little bit more being a little bit more explosive a little bit more unstoppable as is funny to say um kind of like that dame lillard effect where it's like yeah this guy's really great but it's like no you don't recall how great this guy can be um and so i do think it depends on on what kind of zion we see as we move forward as he gets continues to get more reps under his belt and i do want to just give a shout out to cj mccollum who has been awesome for them uh i think he's shooting a career high from three this year or if not a career high is very close um he's been really good completely i think flying under the radar how good a season he's had he's missed a few games um but he's been super efficient especially considering the type of shot diet that he takes um and he's been really good from three and he's been a really important catalyst for them making a lot of these lineups work where he's kind of the token point guard in those lineups so i i do want to give a shout out to cj who i think has been great for them and uh yeah that's kind of where i'm at i i just i just if I, if I was to rank them, I'd probably put them in the third tier, like just outside my second tier. But, you know, I, I think you could go either way with them. CJ has completely reworked his game over the past couple of seasons, and he's become much more adept off ball. And I think that his career is sort of going to be all the better for it, particularly playing with guys like Zion, like Brandon, that like to have the ball in hand. Guys, I'm writing an article at the moment that um, readers, listeners can find on FFSN in the next couple of days. And it's a slightly mean title. It's Zion Williamson is unrounding into form. I I think that Zion might officially be back. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to do it. I, I That's tremendous, Jack. No, just take just just take a bow for that. Don't don't apologize for it. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. I I read something by Joe Wolfonder a month ago, who writes for the Score. Uh, and he said that sort of the new reality might be this new Zion, where he's a little bit more groundbound. It's less exciting to watch. He's not even necessarily going to you know, make the all-star team every year anymore. And I think that February to me indicated that we might be seeing that old Zion return. And that's what's really getting the, um, that's the thrust of my take. That's why I'm talking about them as a contender here. I think he's a sleeping 1A. And I think that for a guy that experienced so many injuries so early on in his career, I understand taking a really cautious approach through the first months of the season. Sometimes it's about sort of putting the miles on your body in a good way in sort of building up repetitions, building up that practice of playing night to night. And then you can start to really sort of open up and let loose. And I think that he's averaging 25 points per game through February. His minutes have gone up from 30 to 32. His assists have gone up. His usage has gone up slightly as well. He's starting to look a little bit more athletic. He had a wonderful alley-oop dunk yesterday in the Pelicans' return game against the Rockets. The, the The crux of my take is I think that Zion is a sleeping 1A. I think that we might see it by the postseason. And I think that... He's used the regular season as a bit of a training camp. Um, sorry, I, that ended abruptly, a little bit abruptly. I was, I, I thought, but no, <laughs> I, I agree with you, and I might be even higher on Zion than you. I think that he's just an incredible force. I, I've never seen anyone, and I, I literally mean anyone, like including Giannis and LeBron, peak LeBron, who mm-hmm. can just consistently you know it's coming and you just can't stop him from getting to the basket. It's, it's really unbelievable to watch. 
The thing that I keep coming back to is I thought your description of Brandon Ingram as a floor raiser was perfect. I don't think that's what you want with Zion. And that's always worried me. If Brandon Ingram could play like he did his first two seasons in New Orleans, that would be a different story. For those who don't know, his first two seasons in New Orleans, he averaged 6.3 and 6.5 threes per 75 possessions. That put him above average in the 71st and 70th percentile. And he shot well from three, including 39% uh, his, his first season in New Orleans. Those are both just so such good indicators of a guy who can play off of another star, somebody who can create gravity off the ball. And then Zion's taken a bigger role and he's upped his mid-range usage. It just seems like such a clunky fit to me. Like I would like Ingram if he was on a team like the 2011 Bulls, you know, like if it was Ingram surrounded by three-point shooters and defenders where Ingram was the guy who had to take on a huge burden and a high usage and create offense. I think that's where you want a guy like Ingram. But when you have McCollum and you have Zion, to me, it's like Ingram is a very, very clunky fit. And I'm worried about that in a a postseason setting because you need to be really good to have acceptable diminishing returns. You just do. Like you can't, you can't have fit issues to this degree and succeed in the playoffs if you're just an average talent team. The the other thing that worries me is their over-reliance on a big next to these guys. This is a really big team. They their most played lineup has Herb Jones playing shooting guard. And like, yeah, you can get away with that when he's shooting 41% from three. Whether he's actually a 40% three-point shooter is another question. I would love to see a lineup that's like McCollum, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Ingram, and Zion, just to see it. And that lineup's played 18 minutes this season. Like they seem all in on the idea that either Jonas or Larry Nance has to be out there. I don't know. These these are some things that I'm not going to say I'd be surprised if they won a playoff series, but I, I'm not as high on them overall as, as a contender because to win multiple series, you just Zion's going to have to go off and then their guys need to be very good supporting pieces. And the Zion Ingram banjo duo is, it makes me a little bit nervous if I'm being honest. Yeah, I I completely take those points on board. It sounds more like a sort of like a work feedback session, like an annual review here. Like you've greatly overestimated Brandon Ingram here. This is, he's not that guy, pal. (laughs) Um, but the the way that I push back is I think that when I watched Brandon, um, I, I really got sort of infatuated with his play, particularly down the stretch post All-Star break last year. I thought that something really sort of clicked in his game, and that was obviously without Zion in the lineup. Um, I think that when it comes down to it and when you get down to brass tacks, even with a guy like Larry Nance or Jonas Valanciunas on the court I love the idea of those two sort of screening for each other I think that they could both screen and I think that there have been certain games this year where we've seen Brandon far more far more accepting of the fact that he's going to have to take more outside shots but I think that he's got a little bit better on taking the advantage that Zion creates and then driving into the paint further or driving for an easy mid-range he might not be your 99th percentile um, role player in terms of he's just going to shoot 50% from behind the arc or he's going to perfectly attack a closeout every time. I completely agree. There are definitely diminishing returns and there's there's stuff that he could do to tweak his game. 
But I just think that when it comes down to it, I think that you've got a hell of a lot of versatility in terms of who's scoring on that team, who's setting screens for each other, who's basically whose number is being called. And I don't think that Brandon is, I think the comparison that he gets quite often is DeMar DeRozan. And I just think that that's a little bit, um, I don't think that's fair because Ingram is capable of taking three-point shots and he's capable of hitting them at a high clip. It's just he doesn't seem to want to for some reason. He's definitely an evolved Brandon Ingram, like or excuse me, an evolved DeMar DeRozan. Like, I, I, I don't think that's a fair comparison either. And I do agree with you. If I was going to be bullish on this team, I do see Ingram as more of a guy willing to take a step back and roll and space the floor a little bit way more than DeRozan. Like, I, I don't think, I don't even think those two are remotely com- com- comparable. I think Ingram is already better than maybe DeRozan's ever been. So um, I agree with you. And I think that was a great rebuttal. What do you think? Actually? Yeah, I, I largely agree too. I I think that Ingram is going to be able to play the appropriate role when it comes to the playoffs. Like I think that there there's something to being in the regular season and being like, you know, I am going to get in my bag when I can <laughs> and when I want to versus being in the playoffs. And it's like, OK, I got to do what I need to do to, to, to win this game and win the series. And I do think there's like a different level of seriousness that I think that Brandon Ingram can potentially approach the game with um, when we get to a playoff environment. So I do expect there to be some differences in the highest leverage situation and him being a more willing role player, a guy who's less, you know, relying on getting to his mid-range bag and hitting mid-rangers and more of like a spot-up guy uh, besides the times when Zion is off the court, obviously. And I do think there's going to be a necessary minutes load restriction, so to speak, for Zion, even in a playoff environment. I don't think he's going to be playing 40 minutes a night. Um, And so I do think there's still going to be a lot of of, uh, responsibility on Brandon Ingram in that context as well. I do think for the Pelicans, someone who is being kind of underrated or not thought about as much is Trey Murphy. I think Trey Murphy is, you know, started off the season not playing, um, but when he came on, he started off pretty well and then had like a rough stretch, pretty long rough stretch. Um, His shooting hasn't really been what we've expected and what we've come to expect from him. Early in his 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 career, you know, he's been like a 39-40% shooter consistently on on pretty high volume. And that's come down a bit, and his volume is as high as it's ever been in terms of his three-point shooting. But I do expect him to improve. Herb Jones has been able to pick up some of that slack with his kind of unexpected, I would say, surprising shooting, although it's on low volume. But I do think Trey Murphy is a big is is a big uh, I don't know a big X factor in terms of their ability to contend down the stretch. I, I think he's going to play more minutes. He's uh, at twenty six minutes per game. Uh, he's going to play more minutes. He's going to have more responsibilities. He's going to shoot more threes, and I think he's going to hit them at a higher rate. So I think he's being underrated a little bit in all of this. Fun fact, Trey Murphy was actually a 60, 40, 90 guy last year. He just took too many threes to hit the 50, 40, 90 threshold. So that's like a whole nother fun category in and of itself. But I think that the wing room is a real X factor. I love Herb Jones. I love Trey Murphy. I know that you hear on podcasts all the time, like Zach Lowe speaks about, hey, if Trey Murphy ever became available, you know, 25 teams would be knocking on the door. And I think that he definitely has that potential. I just think it's really useful when you have a guy like Zion and when you have a guy like Brandon that compromises your spacing slightly to have someone that can not only bomb away, but 
someone that can bomb away from 30 feet. And I think even if the percentages are down a little bit, what we'll see is in the postseason, I think that Trey is going to be respected. And he's just a guy that sort of guarantees the help isn't going to come from him. It really simplifies decision making a little bit, or it sort of makes your, uh, it juices the efficiency of the advantages that Zion's creating. Uh, I just look at Herb and I think that I couldn't really pick a better defender that I'd want maybe at the pick, uh, point of attack for sort of defending like the Jokic Murray two man game or someone that can try and sort of shut down one of the Phoenix guys, even like have a go at uh, Luca in Dallas. Um, and I look at the size that they pack in the front court. And again, a lot of my Western Conference um, comparisons are going to come down to how they match up with Denver, because for me, they're the clear favorite. I like the fact that they can throw Jonas for 30 minutes a night. I like the fact that they have Larry Nance as a slightly more switchable guy that even though the legs have gone a little bit more, he might be able to handle a little bit more mobility guarding that Jokic-Murray two-man game. I just think that they have a lot of tools in the toolbox. I love Jordan Hawkins as a guy who can potentially come in and light it up for sort of a 10-minute stretch. He's shown that he's really happy to get him up. He's really happy to get out and transition. Uh, I like Willie Green as a coach. I think that James Borrego has made a really big difference. But really, this Pelicans being a contender uh, starts and ends with what Zion looks like by the time we roll into the postseason. Yeah, similar to what I said about OKC, they really have a lot of guys that you can see trusting in a playoff atmosphere. Like even Alvarado, we saw him last year. He His annoying pestiness didn't go away. It actually was compounded in a playoff setting. So you've sort of talked me into them being again, this whole, the whole idea of this pod is not true contenders, but fringe contenders. And I can't see a matchup where they play and I'm like, Oh, they can't win this series. So I think I've been in real time converted to your side. So good on you, Jack. That's the end of the podcast guys. Come back next week. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's your first team, man? Do we want to talk next? Do we want to talk uh, Minnesota? Who do you want to bring to the table? Because my next team is probably going to be another sort of Godfather two length chat that we have. So let's let's move on to someone else. Yeah, I mean we're about at the halfway point. I guess we should talk about the Knicks. We we don't me and XJ don't do that enough. We don't we don't talk about the Knicks enough. That is the slightly abrupt end to part one of our Dark Horses Contender podcast with the Hot Hand Theory. I hope that you've enjoyed part one. Be sure to check the feed for part two because the conversation doesn't stop there. Jeff and XJ are just about to get into the Knicks. We discuss the Cavaliers, the Mavericks, and we wrap this whole thing up. I hope that you've enjoyed to this point of the podcast. Join us again for part two. We basically had so much fun that we ran well over on time. And this is the first two-part episode in drop step history so you're witnessing something pretty special here i hope that you're enjoying it so far cheers see you on part two